Welcome to A Circle of Joy podcast. This is Marsha Means, Christian author and counselor. And this morning we're going to be talking about a crisis of faith. At A Circle of Joy, we often run into women whose husbands are sex addicts and women who usually had faith of some sort prior to what they call D-Day. Um, But for many, making that painful discovery of the addiction in their marriage uh, left them questioning, where are you, God? Why, God? Do you care, God? And to help us talk about that this morning, I've invited Coach Catherine, who's one of the coaches at A Circle of Joy, to join us and share her story with you and to share with you her own crisis of faith. And I've invited Marcella, um, a woman I met a while back who is finishing up her master's degree to become a therapist uh, who has a big story. Both these ladies have big stories. And Marcella, too, had a crisis of faith. Um, And in the not very distant future, um, Marcella will be making herself available to women that come to a circle of joy who need the kind of understanding and guidance that she can give because of her story. So welcome, Catherine and Marcella. I'm so glad you're both here. Thank you, Marcia. Thank you. Thank you for doing this podcast, by the way. You're welcome. It's good to have you, Marcella, too. Thank you. Yes. Well, Catherine, since you're already on the team, how about if you start um, by sharing your story? And and I know that you had a crisis of faith because you've told me so, but um, as you answer the questions a little later on, you'll have an opportunity to to flesh out what that looked like, but feel free to incorporate it into your story. If you can cut it down to five minutes or so. (laughs) I I will try. I will try. Um, First off, again, thank you. Uh, Crisis of faith is such a big topic, and so I'm really glad that we as ministry um, are providing help in this area. Um, I married when I was very young. I was 18. And uh, my husband was uh, seven years older, or is seven years older. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at 18, very naive, very sheltered, um, grew up with a, with a background, um, with a conservative faith. And um, so anyways, we got married, my husband and I, and uh, three months into our marriage, my husband told me that uh, he was struggling with pornography. Um, that was almost 35 years ago. Mm. Um, he wanted so much to be honest and to, um, fight this struggle that he had. So he chose to uh, be honest with me on a weekly basis as to how his week was when it came to his pornography. That went on for about 15 years. And if I can recall correctly, pretty much on a weekly basis, Mm. um, he, it would, he never had really a good week where he did not struggle. Mm. So as you can imagine, I never felt like I was on the top of my husband's priority list. I really felt um, felt like my feelings and how I was coping was something that my husband couldn't understand. 
and it really affected my my image of myself, mm-hmm. even though I was seven years younger than him. Mm-hmm. And then about the year 15, my husband started to tell me that God had healed him, that he was no longer struggling. Um, I will confess that I had some red flags, specifically with his behaviors. They just didn't line up with what he was saying. But Marsha, I so wanted to believe him. Mm -hmm. I so wanted to believe that his love for me had Mm -hmm. won out. And I think that's pretty typical of what I hear with so many women, right? That our husbands can say the right things and we so want to believe what they say. Mm Anyways, for about eight years, my husband's secret life included lots of acting out in so many different ways. Um, We all know as women that pornography is very progressive. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my husband went from having a year and a half long affair where he fell in love with Mm -hmm. a woman to one night stands to online, you know, uh, sex to telephones. Uh, anyways, as mm-hmm. you can imagine, whatever you can imagine, he he participated in, and it eventually led him to uh, breaking the law, mm-hmm. and he was arrested at a very public um, airport. Oh. And um, of course, during those eight years, I knew nothing about his life. Knew nothing. I actually found out on D Day, which for me, and we all remember that date, don't mm-hmm. we, ladies? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, for me, it was April 1st, mm-hmm. um, April Fool's Day. And um, that's when six policemen came to my door and uh, told me that they had arrested my husband. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can just imagine that I was floored. And um, all the policemen came into the house and they confiscated all the computers. And and for about two hours, um, the police interrogated me. Initially, at first, like I was a perpetrator that I participated in. Mm-hmm. But I think very quickly, quickly, the police knew that I was going into trauma, into shock. And they knew that I was a victim. And so their behavior towards me changed. But um, initially, it was, they were very, very hard with me. Mm. And I remember that as the police were interrogating me, I had to keep reminding myself to breathe. And um, and they warned me that it would become public. And it did within two, three days. Mm. It went into all the papers, into uh, the news. And uh, everybody knew mm. I couldn't hide. And, uh, of course, because of the legal aspect of it, my husband ended up with a criminal record. Yeah. Um, and I think part of the reason it became so public was because he was a pastor and he was an expert in his field, and he traveled the world with, mm. you know, for a big company. Anyways, we lost everything. We lost our church. We lost our home. We lo- I lost a lot of friends. Our, my children were traumatized, and it really mm. split our family up for a good four years. Um, we lost jobs, finances. He had a criminal record. We ended up living in a mobile home in the woods. Um, everything that I thought I had was gone. Mm. And that was 11 and a half years ago. And thus became, started really my journey to healing. Mm. So. 
So painful to hear. Even though I've heard it before, Catherine, it just breaks my heart. And um, I'm looking forward to having you share in a bit mm-hmm. what that crisis of faith looked like for you, what it felt like yeah, in your little mobile home in the woods. Thank you so yeah. much. You're welcome. Marcella, how about you? I know you have a big story, too, and it's going to be hard to do it in five minutes, but um, do your best. Share your story with us. Okay, I will. Um, I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. My dad was an alcoholic. He was often violent. Um, We often had the police at our home, and they sometimes would tell my mom she needed to take us and leave and give my dad some peace and quiet. And we would go stay with her parents, and my grandfather um, took advantage of that time to molest us. So that was kind of how we grew up. It was like um, from the frying pan into the fire Mm -hmm. and back to the frying pan. And it was I was pretty um, damaged by that. I I would say Um, when I was 13 years old, I was raped by my one of my best friend's brothers, and I conceived a child. And she was born when I was 14, and she was very sick, and she seizured all the time. She, we spent most of her first five years in the hospital, one or mm. one or another hospital. And then um, around that time, I, when I was 19, 20 years old, um, I became a Christian, and um, my life just completely changed when I became mm. a Christian. And I just I couldn't believe that. God was real and he was there all this time and I didn't know it. And I just was so excited in getting like a second chance at life. And um, a few weeks after I became a Christian, I got married to my downstairs neighbor Mm -hmm. and um, he was a new Christian and we were just uh, embarking on this awesome adventure. And um, I thought that I had left all the trauma behind me and, um, I had been told that I would not have any more children because when I was um, delivering my daughter, she seizured and there was damage. Mm -hmm. And I was good with that. When you have a really sick kid, that's, (laughs) you don't even think about anything else. But um, eventually we ended up having eight more kids. So we had nine children. And um, my husband had been laid off for quite a while. And then he got called back to his um, job at um, Ford Motor Company, and we moved up to um, be closer to that job and got a little farm, a 200-year-old farmhouse, mm-hmm. and we just um, really enjoyed our life, me and the kids. We were homeschooling, and we had cows and chickens and turkeys mm-hmm. and goats and whatever, and we just had this really, to me, it was just the, the childhood I never had, I yeah. had to have with my kids, and um after we moved out to the farm, though, I started to sense a change in my husband that I couldn't really put my finger on. I just knew something was different. And um, he just started to change in just tiny little ways, but really nothing that you could point to. And so we just kept going on and on. And eventually, when I was pregnant with my youngest child, um, I knew something was really wrong. I just didn't know exactly what. I had started finding a lot of pornography. We had just gotten on the internet. Um, We started finding a lot of pornography on the computer, um, which was, (sighs) should have been a big 
clue, but you know, people will say, oh, I don't even know how that got on there. <laughs> and I was rather naive, but I knew something was wrong. And then eventually um, when my daughter, my youngest daughter was 11, I could no longer live in that, in the yeah. atmosphere. It had just become poisonous. And I thought that I was losing my mind. Mm -hmm. I thought I, everyone thought that everything was fine. Um, basically when I went for uh, counseling or pastoral counseling or whatever, they just said, no, this is from your past. It's your mm -hmm. past. that's making you think this is something's wrong. Everything's fine. We had a, a reason to be involved with protective services and they told me that I was creating a toxic atmosphere in my mm. house and that my husband wasn't doing anything wrong, that it was me. And eventually I took the youngest one and I moved out. Um, January 2008, we moved out mm. and I felt like a complete failure. My life, mm. life as I knew it was over. Yeah. Um, I went back to school. It was the only way I could think that I could support myself. And, um, I got a job the first week that I was out, which was real exciting because um, I could take my daughter to work after school and I worked in an after school club mm. and it just seemed like everything was going to be okay. But that summer, um, my husband was arrested and he called and told me that he had signed a confession mm. and I said, what did you do? And he said, the girls. And I said, what girls? And he named our two youngest daughters and he had mm. been molesting them. Mm. And um, so he, he did go to prison, um, and we did lose everything. I, I really lost everything that mattered to me uh, because the state came in and took my three youngest kids. Mm -hmm. And um, that kind of, all the other losses just pale in comparison. Yeah. But um, my, I just, I just did not know how God could allow this to happen. It was my goal all of my life to keep my kids safe. And mm. I thought I had been doing that and I had failed. So it was really crushing. Oh, I can imagine. And it had to feel like God failed too. I, I won't put words in your mouth, but I'm eager to hear it, how it, it just did. It felt like feel. God abandoned me. Like yeah. he just he was too busy for me or mm. I don't know. I mean, I, I just did not, uh, I yeah. couldn't find words for it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Marcella. We're going to come back in a minute and ask some questions that will allow you to unpack what it felt like for those who are listening. Catherine, first though, I want to ask you, <clears throat> Uh, I know the answer, but our listeners don't. Can you share where you were in the area of faith prior to D-Day? And, and then go ahead and share a little more about what it did feel like to lose all of that. What it did feel like. You've mentioned you did have a crisis of faith. What did that feel like for you? Hmm. Yeah, I cannot remember my life without God. Uh, to be perfectly honest, my mom was very <laughs> devoted to God, and my dad wasn't. And so at a young age of four, it was e easy to for me to see that mom was happy. So yeah. happiness equals God. Mm -hmm. Remember, I was four years old, mm -hmm. and my dad wasn't. And mm -hmm. so I've always 
had um, a relationship with God as I matured, my relationship with God matured. Mm -hmm. Um, But definitely as an adult, when I got married and had children, very active in the church, um, and as a pastor's wife, I actually spoke at church. I gave messages. Mm. Um, so very active, had a love affair with God. I'll mm. be really honest. The year before I found out about my husband, I had a love affair mm. with the Lord. And that was very, as I look back, that was key, I think, um, mm. coming back to him. But on D-Day, and certainly I would say about two two and a half, three months into, um, you know, recovery or finding out about uh, Neil's secret life, right? Mm-hmm. I started to really question a lot of my beliefs in God, mm-hmm. things like he was my protector, that he was my healer, that he was intimately involved in my life because for three and a half years after that God went so quiet in my life and um, for you know having just come off this one-year love affair with the Lord where I felt his presence every single day Mm -hmm. to him being gone quiet no word no sense Mm -hmm. no nothing for three and a half years when I needed him the Mm -hmm. most you know, was really devastating for me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, night and day for me. Wow. Night and day. Gosh, I wish I had some time to plumb the depths of that with you. Yeah, I can't possibly know the answers, but I'm sure I'm not the only one wondering, did he go quiet? That's a whole separate call. Does God go quiet? Or, mm. or do, does our pain block? Yeah, good question. Yeah. Oh, but that had to be so painful. You'd already lost everything else, and now you were, it felt like you lost that constant contact with this companion, this Father God. Yeah. He was missing when you needed him most. Mm. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Marcella, as you shared your story, we got a little bit of understanding of the question where were you in the area uh, area of faith prior to D-Day, but can you flesh that out? Um, clearly, your life changed overnight when you found God in your own life, when you married, when you first bought the farm, and I've heard you say I was playing Little House on the Prairie, um, but just expound a little bit on where you're faith was with God prior to say 2008 I think that's the year you mentioned when things started to feel different at home where were you faith-wise up until then well I was doing very well as far as I knew um when the kids were little when we were still having kids and things were going along I know that my husband was not quite as zealous for God as he had been earlier um and but it seemed like he was just busy. He was too busy. Mm-hmm. He would say, oh, go start Bible and I'll be right there. And then he wouldn't show and things like that. So it wasn't like very obvious to me okay. that he had departed. But um, as it got closer, by the time I was pregnant with the youngest child, I knew he was totally, we were not on the same page. And 
and um, the next 11 years, I think it just went downhill um, where the kids, we had been very in much in agreement on how we were going to raise the kids, that we were going to keep the kids safe and that we would train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And it was like everything that we believed one by one just fell away. Mm. And pretty soon it was, um, mom is kind of crazy and it's because she was molested as a child. And so mm. we just have to humor her. And mm. all, uh, there was a lot of disrespect that began during those last mm. few years before I moved out. And I think at that time was when I really started to wonder what was happening. Where is God? Where yeah. is God in this? And why would he, why isn't he showing me what to do? Mm. I felt like everything I did failed as far as trying to get back on track. Um, mm. I did have some serious health issues and I was in a lot of pain and I was, I became very depressed. I was very mm. discouraged and I felt like there was nowhere to turn. Mm. So that absence of God that Catherine talked about, there was a void, it sounds like, for you where there had been contact before. Right. Very. Right. I just couldn't find, I couldn't find my way back to God. That's how it felt. Mm. Wow. That sounds like the title for a good podcast, Finding Your Way Back to God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and that is what we want to talk about in uh, the remaining podcasts in this series. Thank you both for setting that up so well. Uh, be, but before we're totally out of time for today's podcast, uh, I'll shelve that, that topic, finding our way back to God uh, after a crisis of faith. But uh, before we close, I, I just want to come back to the passions that each of you carry in your hearts for other women experiencing their husband's sexual addiction. Um, Catherine, I've already told our listeners you're one of our coaches. Um, I know you get great joy from helping women begin to find their own healing path. Um, your story is a big story. Marcella's story is a big story. Listeners are probably thinking, well, of course, they're going to have a crisis of faith. They lost everything. Um, but does that mean that a woman whose husband just used pornography is going to have a crisis of faith? And I'd love to hear you answer that question in the time we have left today, Catherine. Do you hear this in your clients whose husbands haven't made such a big mess. Are you there, Catherine? Yes, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I had it on mute. Um, okay, I, you know, honestly, trauma is trauma. Whether, yes. you're, whether you're dealing with a husband who's, who's into pornography or, or one of the big stories, yeah. as the ladies are hearing, reality is we as wives, we experience trauma mm -hmm. and trauma causes us, our, our, our hearts to, to break into a million yeah. pieces and trust is so shattered. And in spite of the fact that our husband has broken our trust, I'm sure the women realize that our trust is broken in every facet of our lives, mm -hmm. including our relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, you know, in my group, and I can only speak for the groups that I lead, sure. um, I find that this trauma, this journey will cause us to do one of two things, 
bring us to a closer relationship with God right away, mm-hmm. right? We need yes. God, and yes. so we really lean into him, or we end up having a crisis mm. and because of the trauma. And this is really the women that I, I work with a lot, is those that just have this deep need to lean into God because they have nothing else. And those women whose expectations were so shattered that it also included their relationship with God, mm. like in my case. Okay. And tell our listeners what you're going to be doing very, very soon to address that need for the women who need help finding their way back to God. Mm, Thank you for bringing it up because (laughs) I am so excited. I love doing what I do. I really do. Uh, My passion is to bring healing to women as it is for you, Marsha. And and we are so privileged and honored Mm -hmm. that women um, choose to come along or we get the opportunity Mm -hmm. to walk along uh, with the women. And so we are starting a crisis of faith. A support group at the end of this month uh, for women who are just really struggling, struggling to um, to find their way back to God. And uh, reality is, as women of faith, our relationship with God is so. Um, important mm-hmm. in our healing mm-hmm. and um, one thing I've noticed is it's really hard to heal from trauma if we're not looking at this area of our life okay. and our relationship with God so we are going to start a 13-week support group um, at the end of this month and we are going to work through a book which I have found and I have fallen in love with called Toward uh, a Deeper Walk Uh, with Dr. Marcus Warner. It's a fabulous book, which will take us step by step into a deeper uh, understanding of what God is doing Mm. in in our journey right now. Mm. Sounds like a wonderful group. Oh, it's going to be. I'm Uh, excited. and, And when is that starting? What day? Is it set yet? Um, yes, we are thinking about starting it August 31st. Okay. Um, and I believe it is in the afternoon, though the time is pretty flexible. So okay. if we have women come and joining us, we'll find out, you know, what the appropriate time is for all these women. But it, the plan is to start Monday, August 31st. Monday, August 31st. Great. So if you're listening... And that is a need in your life. Um, you've heard Catherine talk today, and we'll have her share more in, I believe, three more podcasts. So tune in and know that you can go to a acircleofjoy.com and uh, find the group page and read about it and register if you would like to be a part of that. And Marcella, um, clearly you're preparing yourself for working in the area of healing therapy. And I know that your heart is to be there for other women who've been through what you've been through or who just discovered they're being thrust onto that unexpected journey. Tell our listeners uh, what you would like to do to help women 
who have stories like your own uh, find their way through the maze and to find healing and find God. Yeah, I, I, um, I still have a bit of time left to go to finish my uh, counseling degree, but I've been taking classes in coaching and learning to coach. Uh, a lot of the things that you need to learn when you go through this, yes. um, they, you can learn them in a support group. You can learn them one on one. Don't you know? Although a, a lot of people do have their own counselors that they go to, and that's really good. Sometimes just having the support of other women that you meet with every week. Is just it just yeah hard to explain yeah. how much good it can do. It is, <laughs> you know, you just um, you're there and you get to care about each other and yes. just yeah. having that connection helps. Yes. Um, yeah. And people, when you know that other people have been where you're at and and they allow you to just go at your own pace, it, uh -huh. it's just very healing to know that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So specifically. Um, uh, I'm going to kind of help you along here because I want our listeners to know um, we do hear not, we don't hear from a lot, but we do hear from women regularly who fill out our assessment form and um, we have a listing of possible things a sex addict might be involved in. And one of those listings is simply the word other. Um, and I think the word incest is also on that form. Uh, it's a rare woman who's brave enough or maybe stupid enough to uh, tick the incest box. Uh, but, but it happens. And more women do the other. And we've learned over the years that usually that other means this woman has something she's afraid to share because she knows it's breaking the law, but she's desperately in need of help and understanding and guidance. Um, those are the women and the ones who are brave enough to say incest that uh, Catherine and I usually deal with. I, yeah. I try to keep those because Catherine's been there because I'm a therapist. I, you know, I've been trained about the law, but there's a safety element. Catherine's got other fish to fry. Uh, this <laughs> crisis of faith. Several, several great groups you're doing, Catherine and and Marcella. When you came along, I knew that it, uh, I knew that that God might shape you and your desires to meet this unmet need. And I just usually try real hard to listen. Sometimes I'll drop a seed and I'll say. I'm dropping a seed and I'll tell them what the seed is and then say, we'll just wait and see if God waters it for you. And I don't think I even had to say that in your case, God's been pouring buckets of water on this long before you met me. <laughs> so, so tell our listeners what you'd like to do to any woman for any woman out there who resonates with your story and who's afraid to ask for help. What, how would you like to make yourself available through a circle of joy? Well, it seems like ever since um, I went out on my own, before I knew even what was going, what had happened in my own family, the Lord just kept putting me with women that had experienced incest, either really? as a child or in a relationship. And um, in a way, he started to help me work through what I had gone through as a kid and as a young mm. woman. 
before I even knew that this had happened in my own family. Mm. And um, he seems to just be helping me to um, be the one that's there for someone who, who needs someone to listen yes. and not heap the judgment on. Basically, when anyone hears the the word incest, there's instant judgment, mm. uh, the court oh, yeah. system, every everyone, and they're yeah. always sure that you knew. And, yeah. and it's like, to me, I, I think I was the last one to know. I was yeah. the last one to know. Um, my other kids knew. Oh. Everyone knew. My in-laws knew. Everyone knew oh. but me. But then I was blamed. And, oh. yeah. and of course, you already have so much guilt. I mean, oh. this was my whole thing was to keep my kids safe. I failed at the one thing I oh. wanted more than anything in the world. Oh. And, and it is devastating. And yeah. somebody, there was no one really that I could talk to. Um, there were some books and things that helped me. But um, in the long run, it, it's worked out that I was able to just bring it all to God and let him mm-hmm. coach me through it. So that's what I hope to do is just to be able to help other people. Okay. And you've got to deal with this most, the most disruptive thing in your life that you can ever imagine. Yes. The most gut-wrenching. You deserve support too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so again, if you're listening, if you know someone who's dealing with this or has dealt with this and she hasn't yet healed, or someone who's currently in the midst of it, um, safety is our heart. Caring is our heart. And yet, because of the confines of the laws, uh, uh, there there are obvious steps that have to be taken when this is going on in a life. But there are ways that women can navigate that and navigate the system with a mentor, uh, someone who's been there before that can keep it as safe as possible. And someone, uh, like you hear Marcella saying, people thought she was crazy and she can help you know you're not crazy and you're not alone. And both of these women have... gotten so much bigger than their story, their original story of of what they've lost or their faith crisis. And I'm just really excited to be able to talk with you both for probably three more times. So (laughs) thank you. Thank Thank you, you, Marcia. Thank you. Yes, you're courageous. I admire you both. I love you both. And Oh, listeners, we're out of time for today, but do tune back and we'll be talking more about the crisis of faith and uh, how to find your way to God if you've never found him before or how to find your way back now if he seems to have gone silent on you. Thank you so much. Bye for today.